Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. No matter what circumstance we're facing right now, Lord, we pray that your name would be over it. Lord, the circumstance is real. It is reality. We don't deny it. We don't live in denial, but we say that your name is higher than it, Lord. Lord, that yours is the victory, Lord. Lord, that you have won already, Lord. We may be facing a battle, but the war has already been won by you, Lord. And so we trust you this morning. We live for you this morning. We long for you this morning. And we ask as we come around your word, Lord, Lord, that you would impart something into our hearts, Lord, that would bear great fruit. Lord, that it would be fantastic, Lord, and it would be amazing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Welcome to church. I just said grapefruit, and uh, it reminded me of a story that um, we just heard in Poland about a, um, an interpreter who was saying, uh, he, he was asking everyone to shout out. The interpreter wasn't the preacher. He said, everyone yell out, grateful. And there was kind of like, grateful in the congregation, as the interpreter said it, whatever the Polish word was. And he said, no, I want you to say it louder. Grateful. And, you know, a few more people joined in and said, grateful. And then he said, no, come on, we've really got to get this grateful. And, uh, and so a few people went, grateful. And, uh, and the, he turned to the interpreter and said, what's, what's going on there? Why do they have a hassle with yelling this out? I said, I imagine that they're wondering why you want them to yell out grapefruit. And so <laughs> I'm just a bit lost in translation there. Uh, um, we were wrapping up this morning. Daz is preaching a new message tonight. Uh, we're wrapping up our month of the poor. It's personal. We had a break in the second week with a guest speaker. Um, but we're, we're, we're having our last message on this this morning. And I hope that something's shifted in our hearts. I want us to look at the screen. And, uh, and, and we're going to hear from Lockie. Oh, there's a video, I think. So I was riding down the street the other day. And I felt like God was asking me to help this old guy with his gardening, to ask him. So I thought, oh, oh that's a bit weird. This guy's kind of kidnapped me. Oh, okay. Uh, so I rode around the block thinking, okay, what's my plan if he comes to kidnap me? What's my plan? What's my plan? I got back around and I thought, no, okay, God. If you want me to do this, make this car drive out of its driveway. I saw no one in it. It backed out. I was like, oh my goodness. Oh. No, that's just a coincidence. Who cares? Who cares? And then I said, okay, God, make it go up Hibiscus Way, even though it's exiting Kalala, and I'll go and ask him. He turned left and went up Hibiscus Way. I thought... What, God, why would you do, who even goes that way? That's so, what is this guy thinking? So I thought, oh, okay. I rode around the block thinking, oh my goodness, this is so weird. What am I going to do? What do I do? So I kept my distance. I stayed a good 10 meters away from him. And I said, excuse me, sir. Would you like any help with your garden? No thanks, buddy. Oh, thanks God. Yeah, thanks. Ah, oh, cool, bye. <laughs> you 
sometimes we really think and we're trying to discern the voice of God in our lives and we're really trying to understand and, and we're trying to act in faith on what we think God is telling us. And then there are some things that we kind of have maybe bypassed or forgotten about that God has clearly revealed about himself and what he wants us to do. Um, as I said in the first week, we try to give 10% of all our giving to some kind of outreach, to something that's for people outside this church that doesn't benefit the people inside the church. Uh, but we're taking up an offering at the end of the service today that specifically is for the poor. It's not just for outreach. It's not for outside this church. Um, it's for our global partnerships that we already give to, but we want to do something extra and so if you haven't come prepared for that today, that's totally fine. Um, grab the info card. There's giving details on the back of that. And if you put in there uh, when you do your transfer, the poor, we'll know what that's for and we'll send it to that. We talked about the quartet of the vulnerable, that God has uh, four specific groups of people that he um, longs for us to take care of as his people, uh, the poor, the, the foreigner or the oppressed and the widow and the fatherless. And um, with our partnerships, Compassion, they're taking care of the poorest of the poor and uh, they're making sure that kids break that cycle of poverty in Jesus' name. Um, it's going to the Horizon Project where orphan children get to grow up in a family environment. It's going to Try Freedom where women and children are rescued from sex slavery and going to eye-openers uh, to India where the poorest, again, of the poor are actually able to be given not just a hand out but a hand up because they have an operation and they're able to go out and get jobs. So these are phenomenal things that um, people are doing and we get to partner with that and I encourage you along that uh, vein this morning. Um, week one, we talked about gleaning, or as my husband put it in week three so brilliantly, margin that makes a difference. Margin that makes a difference. If we want to throw that square and circle up, um, we, that God put it into law that that kind of we would live our life as though it's a square inside a circle, um, or actually it's more a circle inside a square, but use your imagination, um, and that we'd leave the edges, that we'd kind of live not out to, our end, out to the ends of our finance, but leave margin so that that can go to people that uh, are less fortunate than ourselves. Unfortunately, Australians, one in five Australian studies say, live actually outside their means. So they don't even live with inside their means and then not even with margin inside their means, but actually outside their means and, um, and find themselves in increasing debt. So we want to do God's way and have margin that makes a difference. We talked about the fact that it was in the law right from the start, God for his people. Oh, it's the way to get me to slow down preaching is to have people in a different language. I preached so slow last week in Poland. It was, um, so Sue, if you just want a different language, just sort it out. <laughs> so Sue always, what is it Sue that you do when I preach? Just like on and on and on, on and on <laughs> when she's signing for me. And um, so, um, so, yeah, he talks about it in the law, about that, that principle. Then he talked in the prophets. We looked at all the prophets that talked about making sure that you, uh, that, oh no, well actually the prophets were saying, hey, there's judgment coming on you, people of God, because you didn't do what I asked. And, uh, and then we went to Jesus who said, hey, those that say that they've cast out demons in my name and prophesied in my name, that's great, but I don't know you unless you've actually taken care of the less fortunate. So uh, pretty heavy duty stuff. So I started to look at, um, I thought, well, was it, did it pre-exist the law? Did God ask people even before he put it into law to take care of the poor? And as I scanned through Genesis, it might be there, but I couldn't find it. I was just skimming through Genesis to see if I could find it. And I, I couldn't find where God asked people to look after the poor before he put it into the law. But what I did find is that he actually did it himself. 
Um, one of the first stories in the Old Testament is where uh, Sarah and Abraham are given a promise that they're going to have children, that Abraham's going to have as many descendants as the sand on the seashore, as many descendants as the stars in the sky, which was a pretty massive thing to say when he hadn't even had one child. And in fact, Sarah was barren and they were too old now to have children. Now, I don't know how Sarah felt about that. I imagine that, uh, that she would have felt pretty guilty because she was the one who was barren. And, um, and I, I don't know if it's just peculiar or particular to women uh, that we have this kind of guilt about us. If you're a mum, you've got the mum guilts regularly when you feel that you're being judged by other mums or your own children sometimes. Um, but also, I, I don't know if that's just peculiar to women or men feel like that as well. But I imagine Sarah's state that, that she would have felt guilty that she was the one who was the hindrance to the promise of God. And so Sarah's there and, and she comes up with her own solution, which is to give Abraham her maidservant and says, well, Abraham, the promise isn't going to come through me. So how about you sleep with her and let, like, don't let me be a hindrance anymore. So he sleeps with her. She has a son. Um, Sarah now begins to despise her. Shocker. Like as if we didn't know that was going to happen. And, um, and then um, Ishmael is, you know, begins to be the son. God says, no, 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 that was not my intention. My intention was for Abraham and Sarah to have a baby. Sarah then has a baby called Isaac, the son of promise. And, and, and then Ishmael, the other son, is mean to Isaac. So Sarah boots Hagar, um, kicks her out of the home. She's now left completely destitute, penniless, without any form of support, no protection whatsoever. And she's out in the desert. Listen to this from Genesis chapter 21, verse 15. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. So here we have a boy who is fatherless. He's not fatherless in, in the fact that his father's back at the camp. He's fatherless and he now finds himself in a situation without a father. And God hears him crying. God of heaven hears the boy crying. Genesis 21 verse 19. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew, etc., etc. So here we have the first single parent household in the Bible. And God directly intervenes on their behalf. God is the one who hears their cry. Then let's go to the next story before the law where we see this, uh, the, someone from the quartet of the vulnerable, some slaves in Exodus chapter 1. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands." We go down to Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. Then the Lord told him, speaking to Moses, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites now live. Look! The people of Israel, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. So a people caught in slavery, oppressed and downtrodden, 
and their cry goes up and God hears their cry. We have a single parent household and the boy's cry is heard. We have a people enslaved and their cry is heard by the Lord. This reminds me of a story that um, Christine Kane tells. She's the director of A21, which Tri Freedom supports. And uh, she was telling the story. She was sitting with a woman who had told her a story. The woman had been one of 60 women, I think from Bulgaria, that had been packed into a shipping container and shipped across the sea. Some people had died in the shipping container. Uh, they then were on a boat and um, to get them to land and the Coast Guard came. And because the Coast Guard were coming, prior to this, they'd been um, sexually assaulted numerous times, all 60 of the women, by men in police officers to instill in them a, a mistrust of authority. And, uh, and so then they're on this way, they're on this boat to get to the shore and the Coast Guard come and so the traffickers just start throwing the women off the boat. Only five make it to shore and then they are um, enslaved and forced to service multiple men a day and eventually because um, they have to go to a, a, a sexual health clinic um, to ensure that the product is okay for the buyer... Uh, regularly. Uh, A21 has plants inside these sexual health clinics to come alongside the women and make sure that they're there of their own volition and not forced to be there. So this woman comes along, befriends this woman, eventually she um, escapes, uh, they, they put her into a shelter, they begin to restore her and, um, and build her back up. That's the work of A21 that Tri-Freedom supports. Christine Kane comes along and is talking to the woman hearing the story and, and is just horrified as you would be. And, uh, and so the woman says, so tell me what started you doing this? And she said, uh, you know, kind of probably, she said, oh, I just felt, I saw all the posters of missing women at the airport and I just felt to come and do this and kind of, you know, was feeling a little bit good about this work that she'd started, that this woman had been rescued and was waiting for the gratitude of the woman who'd been rescued. And the woman looked at her and said, well, why didn't you come sooner? What, you don't know what that's like we're in hell why didn't anyone come sooner why didn't God come sooner and and Christine Kane said oh God heard you cry from the moment you started crying it's us that didn't come quickly enough it's us that didn't get there or didn't respond it's it's the people that didn't respond to God's cry to act on his behalf quickly enough now I believe that we'll get to heaven and and, and we'll be amazed at the stories of God intervening personally on people's behalf but what we also know is that God asks us as his people to intervene on the behalf of the downtrodden and those less fortunate. So we know that. We know that it's pre-law where God stepped into time himself and rescued people out of their vulnerability. We know that then it's in the law and then it's in the prophets and then Jesus talks about it. But when Jesus left, how did it go after that? On Acts chapter 6, early churches started. It's like thousands of people are getting saved. It's off the chain. The people are getting baptized everywhere, filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing things are happening, miracles. And what we read in Acts chapter 6 is that some men are appointed who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. What do they get appointed to do? If they're full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, no doubt they're starting a healing ministry, right? They're going to go out and just, you know, um, start kicking goals miracles-wise. Or if they're full of faith and the Holy Spirit, then they're probably going to start a prophetic ministry and, uh, and get out there amongst the people and just, you know, start prophesying. No, these men full of faith in the Holy Spirit, the first bit that the early church built in was to appoint them to wait tables for the widows. Because a dispute had broken out amongst the Grecian Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And the Hebraic Jews were saying, you're not looking after, no, the, 
Grecian Jews were saying, you're not looking after us like you do the Hebraic Jews. So they said, right, well, first thing we've got to do as the church is ensure we're looking after the widows properly. That's the first thing they did. Then, after that, a Gentile got, became a Christian. A Gentile gave his heart to the Lord. Now, that's um, important because for the first little while, only Jews decided to follow Jesus. The first Gentile that became a Christian reaches all the way down to you and I. We only are here today because of that moment that happened back there where the good news about Jesus Christ went beyond the Jews to people that were non-Jews. So what was it about this guy, Cornelius was his name, that caught the attention of God in order for him to receive the message about Jesus Christ? We'll have a look at Acts chapter 10. It says, In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. So here's this Roman officer. Let's not forget that the Roman officers are the ones who killed Jesus. They're the ones who crucified our Lord on the cross. So he's not a Christian. He's not following Jesus, but he's a God-fearing man. So he has an idea of the Jewish God. And he's turned away from the pluralistic worship of the Romans and even the Italians. He stopped worshipping the trees and the rocks and the hills of the Italians. And he started worshipping the God of the Jews. And how that is outworked is he prays regularly and he gives generously to the poor. Uh, Peter goes to him in Acts chapter 10 verse 28. He says, it says, Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. So this is the church talking. They're saying, we're not allowed to associate with the Gentiles. The message had only gone to the Jews so far. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied, four days ago, I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messages to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given to you. And so he gives them the message of Jesus Christ. They, the whole household decides to follow Jesus and then it breaks out. And, and from there, you and I are here today. The, the thing that caught God's attention that extended the message of Jesus Christ to the first Gentile was that he gave generously to the poor. Now, Paul then goes to Tarsus and Damaxus, Damaxus, that's its real name, Damascus and Arabia, um, to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. This is just like God. Paul is a Jew of Jews. He's like a, he's, he's amazing. He's a Pharisee. He's trained under Gamaliel. He's on track to become a, a rabbi with Samika. He's a, incredible. And, but God sends him to the Gentiles. And, and Peter, who's a fisherman and, and just, you know, unschooled, he gets sent to the Jews. It just goes to show that God doesn't work on our natural abilities. He sends us where he sends us and asks us to trust him instead. And so um, Paul's out amongst the Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 2, it says, I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. That's a good reason. It's like Lockie and the gardener, a bit better than Lockie and the gardener. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted 
and I was running the race for nothing. Um, just a little backstory. He'd been preaching for 14 years to the Gentiles, and now he checks that uh, the message is okay with the church leaders. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission, I've always said. Um, And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, for which Titus was incredibly grateful, though he was a Gentile. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favourites. Amen. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognised the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. So they go to the Gentiles. He preaches the message of Jesus Christ and the, the apostles give him one instruction Make sure you tell them to give generously to the poor. And yet somehow, and, and I can only speak for our church and, 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 and Daz and I, this is not a message that we have that has been super prevalent in, in our church. And, and I'm sorry for that. I, we somehow just missed that. We have a heart for the lost. We have a heart for our city. We have a heart for, but, but somehow we missed God's heart for the poor. And, and we've talked about it. We've got global partnerships and all that kind of thing. But to encourage you and us as the church to be the church and to do exactly what God has asked, we've somehow missed that along the way. And we are determined not to keep missing it at all. We can't church because God has asked us to do this. He's asked us to be the change agents in our world. He, he has asked us to ensure that we're the ones who look after widows and fatherless and poor and oppressed and the foreigner as well. And, and, and it's not like we probably don't know that many in abject poverty, though we may know, know one or two by a few degrees of separation. But our world is too small for that any longer to be any kind of excuse. We're aware of the things that go on in our world and this can't be born out of guilt. I was in um, New Caledonia when I was a teenager and uh, this ad came on TV and it had all these African faces, beautiful children, you know, but malnourished children. And, um, and they said, we know you're sick of us asking you for money, the voiceover came. We know that you're sick of um, us asking you for money. We know that these faces don't mean anything to you anymore. So we just ask that you'd send us your shoeboxes because we're running out of coffins. And, and like, for me, I was like, oh, man. But, you know, that's the only tool that, that organisations have to get us to give is guilt around what's happening, to try and move us emotionally. But we're not meant to be moved emotionally. We're meant to be carriers of who God has called us to be, to bring the solution to the earth. We're not meant to wait for us to, ourselves to feel bad. Bron, throw a couple of pictures on there, then I'll give. No, no, we're not meant to wait for that. We're meant to just proactively go out there and take care of those who are less fortunate than ourselves. You might be like how I've lived 98% of my life and just be payday to payday. That's how I've lived 98% of my life, payday to payday. And so for us who are like that, we need to factor it in or life will squeeze it out. We can't just um, hope that with our leftovers we'll make that happen. We need to factor it in or life will squeeze it out. Okay, I've got one story from the Bible, two scriptures, and we're done. This new community was different because it made a difference. 
And church, we're called to be a new community that's different because we make a difference. If we're not making a difference, then how different are we? A little bit, but not much. So this story that I'm about to tell is about stewardship and it's from the Bible and it's the third of four parables. The first one is about being ready for when Jesus comes back. The second one is about being ready for when Jesus comes back. And the fourth one is about being ready for when Jesus comes back. The first one is about making sure that you, you know, you've got your house right to go. The second one is about making sure that you've got enough oil to keep the lamp burning for when Jesus comes back. The fourth one is about the one that we've been talking about, the sheep and the goats, and where Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you because you didn't look after those less fortunate than yourselves. But this third one is the parable of the talents, and it's where the master gives his um, servants talents. Now, talent is a word that confuses us a little bit because we use it in a different context, but talent was worth more than $1,000, so we'll just use dollars. He gave the first servant $5,000. And there are those of us today that you're like that servant. God has entrusted to you wealth. He's entrusted to you privilege. He's entrusted to you um, flourishing. He's entrusted to you blessing and favor. He's favored us all. We're all we're all Jesus lovers. We've all got the gift of salvation, the free gift of salvation. But there are those of us who are blessed on this earth. And, and there are those of us in the room that are like that, 5,000 talents. And this servant went and stewarded it well enough to create more wealth. And there are those of us in this room today that you're, you've been entrusted with 5,000 in order for you to make more wealth to help more people. The entrustment that you've been given is never for yourself like it wasn't for that servant. It was always for the master. And so if you've been entrusted with great wealth, steward that well, create more wealth so that you can help more people. Then there's the 2,000 people. And, and, and maybe they're the people who are, they've got some margin. But again, you're only entrusted with that margin so that you can help it grow to help more people and help more people along the way, not wait till you've got more so that you can help more. Then there's the people with 1,000 and that servant buried it because he said, oh, I've just got to hang on to what I've got. I think that represents people with a poverty mindset who say, maybe grew up without much, and maybe you've got a bit more now, but you've grown up without much, so you still feel like you've got to cling on to everything that's given to you, not knowing that God instructs us to put it to good use and give it away, because it's always more blessed to give than receive, and it was never for us, it was always for the use of the master in the first place. That's the stewardship. Now, here's a little thing that just can trip us up in the Western world. We had a guy come to church, and... Um, and what happens is that we have food hampers here at church. We often get helped for, uh, asked for help with needs. And we've got food hampers here. And we've got a little bit of um, budget to help in other ways, but not much. So really, it often falls to the staff that are here on the day for their margin and whatever they're willing to be generous with at the time. And so this guy came. He said he was homeless. He said he had no food. So he was given a food parcel. And, and one of the staff from the church took him down to a motel and put him up for two nights there um, because he said he was getting paid on that day after the two nights. Uh, he then came back the next day. Another staff member took him over and got him some socks and some deodorant. He came back the next day, the day that he was supposed to be paid, and said, well, that person paid for my two nights. Now can they pay for the next seven nights? And, um, and I sat with him and said, hey, how, how much do you get paid? And he told me, and I said, you realise that, that that is, like, if you keep staying at a motel, that's going to chew through all that. And uh, started to look at some low-cost options for him. Ended up bringing the Department of Housing. They couldn't tell me much, but they could tell me a little bit. So continuing the conversation with him, it turned out they actually did have a house. 
and he still had the keys to the house. And he said that everything was out of his house, but he said he needed to go back there to get all his stuff. And so he, um, all of a sudden, it became evident that he just didn't have the capacity to steward his finance. That's where he was at. And, and um, there's things that our government has in place for people like that where they get paid a couple of times a week because if they get paid once a fortnight, they'll blow it. So they get paid a couple of times a week to help them stretch it out. We got talking, talked through the ways that he could, you know, be helped, go back to the Department of Housing, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and, and it's stories like that that can make us feel wary about helping the poor. We kind of go, well, they're willing to take advantage of us and, and they don't care and, 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 you know, in our country, blah, 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 whatever. Let me read you a scripture from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11. I'm going to use it slightly differently this morning. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. Now, this verse is saying that you can't trust in your wealth. You can't trust in your riches. But let's face it, wealth does afford us some kind of protection, if you've ever been without money, you know the anxiety that that brings. If you've ever had a hard time where you're ringing people to say, can you extend that payment out? Can I make a payment plan on that for, you know, every fortnight or whatever? Or if, or if it's just in the back of your mind all the time, everything else can be going really well. But if you've got money troubles, it just weighs on you. And the wealth does provide some protection. So what I want to encourage us in, if we're in any way, have any margin today and judge those who don't, just remember that they have no protection. There is a cycle about this and, and, and we want to work on getting them free and we've got amazing things like caps in, in our church and, and Christians Against Poverty, all that kind of thing. But let's not get into a place where we start to judge and withhold because of our judgment. We talked the first week about going from being tight-fisted and hard-hearted to being open-handed and compassionate. So let's ensure that we remain that no matter what, how we perceive people to be. Let's be wise and let's ask questions, but let's not have an attitude of tight-fistedness. I'm going to ask the band to come now. One more scripture for you. And I'll just give you a bit of warning. This one's a slap you up the side of the head scripture. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? God brings people across our path because we have what is needed for them or we have access to the people who have what is needed for them. He doesn't just bring people across our path so that we can say, oh, sorry, Luke, you poor... I don't know if I'm allowed to say the next word in church, so poor fella. Oh sad about, you know, your worn out shoes and those jeans. I've been wearing those a while, haven't you? Sorry about that, Luke. Hungry? Oh, sorry to hear that. Well, have a good day, mate. And uh, all the best, all right? No, God has provided within us the solution. God has asked us to be the church. He's asked us to take personal responsibility in Jesus' name. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.